1 John chapter 3, verse 19 to 24. And we're almost done with a series on personal problems. This evening we're going to look at uh, doubt and assurance. Doubt and assurance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now come to the Word, once again we pray as we did this morning that you would give us instruction through the Scriptures, that you would work in our hearts in a powerful way upon our hearts to change us into the likeness of Jesus, your beloved Son. We ask that you would empower us to live obedient lives and God-pleasing lives and also to overcome doubt. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Mary loves gardening, and in her garden she has two azaleas, uh, shrubs with beautiful flowers. You get them in pink and white and in red, perhaps other colors too. But one of the shrubs has flowers and the other hasn't. And that's exactly how it is with believers. According to J.C. Ryle, an English theologian and preacher of the, uh, from the 1800s, J.C. Ryle says that all Christians have the roots of faith, but not all Christians have the flowers of assurance. And that is why the Bible teaches us that we need to test ourselves to see whether the, we are in the faith. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 13.5, we, we need to make sure of our calling and election, make that sure. 2 Peter 1 verse 10. So you, you don't need the flowers of assurance in order to be saved. You only need the root of faith. But if you have those flowers of assurance, it makes a very great difference. <clears throat> Let's read the text and then we'll break it up and expound it. 1 John 3 verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments. And do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Number one, we'll look at brotherly love and assurance. Verse 19. Uh, John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, he once wrote to a Christian, he wrote this letter to a Christian this Christian felt that I don't have the witness of the Spirit. I don't feel it in my heart, the testimony of the Spirit, the Spirit saying you are God's child. And so Newton wrote, he said, yes, you lack the witness of the Spirit. That's what you say. But what do you mean by this? Is it, is it a whisper or, or a voice from heaven to encourage you? Maybe to encourage you to believe that you may venture to hope that the promises of God are true, that he means what he says, that he is able to make his word Good. Your eyes are opened. You are weary of sin. 
you love the way of salvation yourself and love to point it out to others. You're devoted to God, to His cause and His people. It wasn't so with you once, and in the past it wasn't like that. So either, so, you some, either you have somehow stolen these blessings, or you've received them from the Holy Spirit. And it's exactly the same when it comes to brotherly love. If you have love for other Christians, brotherly love, then you can know for certain you are saved. And you can know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. <clears throat> and isn't that the gift of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Did you just get it out of your own heart? Uh, Romans 5 verse 5, God has shed His love abroad into our hearts through the Spirit He has given to us. So if you have love for the brothers, you're a Christian. So it's not the gifts of the Spirit that, that shows someone is saved. Some people think they're saved because they speak, in, they speak gibberish. They speak in these, what they call, tongues. But Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, Jesus said it's not those who do miracles and prophesy and <clears throat> cast out demons who are saved. <clears throat> so it's not that the gifts of the Spirit that proves if someone is saved. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 19, by this we shall know we are of the truth. By what? By verse 18, little, little children, let us love. Verse 16, we must love the brothers. So that's the proof someone is saved. So test yourself by those questions. Do you love other Christians? Do you feel comfortable with other Christians? Do you feel at home with them? Do you want to be, be with them as much as possible? Unlike the people in chapter 2 verse 19 that left the church, they don't want to be with Christians. <clears throat> is your love practical? As verse 16 to 18 teaches, practical Christian love in your deeds, not just in your speech, not just saying you love others, but showing it. You know, someone, someone who doesn't love, love other Christians from the heart simply shows that the spirit of adoption doesn't dwell within him. The spirit of adoption doesn't live in his heart. And he's not saved yet. As we see in verse 14 and 15, where it says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever doesn't love da abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness. <clears throat> All right, so... So if that's true of you, then you're not saved. But if you do love other believers, why is it? It's because the Spirit dwells in you and because you are a believer. So you are of the truth, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. Uh, that simply means, if it says you're of the truth, it means you believe in Christ. Jesus said, I am the truth. So you believe in the truth. And... The Spirit lives in you, and you live by the Spirit who is the truth. Verse 6 of chapter 5. End of the verse. The Spirit is the truth. So you can reassure your heart, verse 19. You can tell your conscience, I belong to the Lord. I am His and He is mine. And your conscience needn't bother you. And you do not need to listen to the devil when he tempts you or whispers in your ear, you are unsaved. Number two, your conscience and assurance. Verse 20. A false teacher once said that you should live according to your conscience. And when an older pastor heard this, he said that is dangerous. 
especially if your conscience is informed by the teachings of this specific false teacher. And you cannot live according to your conscience. You need to live according to Scripture. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Your conscience is not the Bible. Your conscience can be wrong. So an unbeliever's conscience can convince him and say, you're a Christian, but that conscience is wrong. A believer's conscience can tell him, you're not saved, but that conscience is wrong. So you cannot trust your conscience primarily. You must ask, what does God say about you through his word? Does God say you have brotherly love? It's obvious in your life. And if you have brotherly love, it proves you are saved. So what does God say? Verse 20. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. So believe God. Believe what he says in his word, rather than trusting your very unstable heart. Your very unstable conscience. Do you have no brotherly love in your life? Well, then you shouldn't tell yourself that you are saved. Just, just because you feel you're going to heaven, or you had some spiritual experience, or you have a, a date, a day you can point to and say, I was converted on that day, or you said the sinner's prayer, or you were baptized. It's not, what do you feel, or these experiences? The question is, what does God say in His Word? God is greater than our heart, verse 20. He knows everything. So do you see do you see the biblical evidence of salvation in your life? Do you see brotherly love? Do you see faith in Christ as the Son of God? Do you obey His commandments? Those are the proofs of salvation, according to 1 John. And if you do see those things, then you are saved. Even if your conscience bothers you, even if you doubt, Remember, your heart or your conscience is not the highest court. It's not the highest court to determine whether you are saved or not. God is the highest court. Verse 20, God is greater than your heart. He knows everything. So to have a, a specific date of conversion, say, well, I have a date or I don't have a date, that is not everything. That's not the be-all and end-all. And then also... Do not doubt your salvation simply because you didn't have a radical conversion like the Apostle Paul. No two conversions are exactly alike. You know, some conversions are like a thunderstorm, a cloudburst just breaks loose upon you. Other conversions are like the morning fog that wraps around you. Some, some believers, they have a very, very intense conviction of sin and they, it's, it's a, like wrestling inside for months and sometimes even for years under conviction of sin. And for others, conviction of sin is not that intense. Yes, conviction of sin is there. Every true believer, to a greater or lesser extent, there's been conviction of sin. And it's true that, that no one is saved and, until they realize that they lost. And until they realize they need a savior. So the spirit convicts us of the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And yet, conviction of sin on its own is never enough. 
because some people are under conviction of sin and they are very afraid of God's judgment, but they never saved. Like Felix in Acts chapter 24, verse 25, where Felix was, was very afraid when he heard concerning God's judgment. So you need, you need more than conviction of sin. It needs to go a step further where you realize who Jesus is, where you call upon Jesus to save you, and where you receive Jesus as your personal Savior. And if you've done that, then you can know for certain you are saved. And especially it will become visible in the fruit of your life, the fruit of repentance. So don't trust your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things. Don't trust your conscience first and foremost. But believe the Spirit's testimony through the Word. Verse 20, God is greater than our heart when your heart condemns you. He knows everything. Number three, boldness and assurance. Verse 21 to 22a. So in John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character called Little Faith, and he is robbed by guilt and faint heart and mistrust. And they steal his money, but they couldn't get to the gemstones that he had hidden in his inside pocket. So in other words, he didn't lose his salvation. He didn't lose the gemstones, but he did lose the joy of his salvation. He did lose the money. He did lose assurance of salvation. So, so the lesson is, you can be saved even if you don't have assurance. And yet, it is a very, very great gift, a great grace from God, if you are certain of your salvation. Because then you have boldness before God. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, so in other words, you sure you saved, you have assurance, we have confidence before God. Boldness. So you're not the kind of person, you're always wondering, is the Lord angry with me? Is he angry at me? And is he going to reject me? And you don't keep on thinking, what does it help that I pray? Perhaps God is not my father. Or perhaps you do pray, and then you start doubting. Um, and you think, well, the Lord's not going to answer me. Maybe he won't answer me. Maybe he will not answer me. Maybe he doesn't want to answer me. So can you see how, how doubt, it really doesn't help your relationship with the Lord. There's no profit in doubting. You cannot go forward as you ought spiritually if you constantly doubt. But if you have assurance of salvation, it gives you boldness before God, as I just proved. And as verse 21 says, it's almost like, like two orphans. So these two orphans, they're still underaged, but when they come of age, when they, when they are, let's say, 18, they will inherit all the riches of their late father. And one of these orphans, he knows it, and so he lives with great hope. But the other one hasn't yet heard the news, so he's constantly doubting about the future. He's uncertain what's going to become of us. Now perhaps it's necessary for me to say it again. Assurance of salvation is a very great gift. And if you don't have it, seek it. And if you do have it, treasure it. Someone who has assurance sees answers to prayer. Verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. So He sees these answers to prayer. And it's not because... Uh, God has got favorites and he answers this Christian and not the other Christian. It's not because of favoritism. But why does he receive answers to prayer? Because he prays. 
He's got assurance. God is my Father. I can go to Him. I can bear my heart before Him. I can pour out my heart before Him. I can ask for my, my daily needs and God will hear me. And then when the Lord answers those prayers, well, that just drives him to pray more and more. And because he prays more and more, his relationship with the Lord grows deeper and his assurance becomes stronger. Now let's take the person who doubts. He doubts his salvation and so he thinks God is not my father. Maybe I'm not even his child. What does it help I pray? And because he's prayerless, he doesn't receive. You do not have because you do not ask. James 4 verse 2. Or perhaps he does pray, but because he doubts while he prays and thinks, well, maybe the Lord will not answer me. Maybe he doesn't want to. Now he doubts when he prays and therefore he doesn't receive an answer to prayer. James 1 verse 6 and 7. You shouldn't doubt. The person who doubts will not receive anything, James tells us. And so now he doesn't receive answers to prayer and that makes him doubt even more. Now he thinks, perhaps I'm not a Christian after all. God doesn't answer me. And in the end, he just stops praying because the Lord doesn't answer. And because of his prayerlessness, now the guilt becomes even more. He feels guilty for not praying. And now he wonders even more. Am I saved? So do you see this, this vicious circle? How do you break free from this? Well, the truth is you can't. You cannot break this cycle. Only the Lord can. So confess your doubt and say, Lord, it is sin for me to doubt you. Confess your doubt and then ask the Lord to give you assurance. Which leads us to number four. Obedience and assurance. Verse 22b to 24a. A couple of years after I was saved, I started to doubt my salvation. I started to doubt, am I really saved? And there was a reason for that. I was busy with sin. Now, if the Lord had to give me assurance of salvation during that time, I would have thought, well, my sin does not really bother God. God is not bothered about my sin. Because look at this. He gives me peace and joy, assurance of salvation, while I'm committing this sin, so the sin can't really be that bad. But that is not how the Lord worked. The Lord allowed and even probably permitted this and decreed this that I should doubt my salvation at that moment. Because you cannot be busy with sin and have assurance of salvation. It's a gift from the Lord that He allows you to be filled with doubt. So you can turn to Him and call upon Him and repent of your sin and confess your sin. Okay, so we all agree that obedience to God's commands does not save. It cannot save you. But obedience to God's commands, it is necessary if you want assurance of salvation. Verse 22b. Uh, verse tw 22, uh, 21 says we have confidence before God. And then verse 22, our prayers are answered. Because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. That's important. You can't have assurance of salvation if you're living in sin like an unbeliever. And you cannot have joy. You cannot have the joy of salvation if you're living in sin. That's what happened to David, Psalm 51. 
where David prayed, please restore, give me again the joy of your salvation. He had lost it because of his sin. And that is very dangerous if you lose the joy of your salvation. Because now the temptation is there for you to pursue the joy and not the Lord. So if you want assurance of salvation, do not focus on assurance. Focus on God. How do you do it? Well, you do this by obeying his commands, by doing what he tells you. Verse 22b. We keep his commands, commandments and do what pleases him. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments, Jesus said. And what is God's command? What's the great command? Verse 23, this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. That's the great command. It's a command. It's not merely an invitation that you should believe in Jesus. God commands you to believe in his Son. Repent and believe the gospel. God commands us to love one another, to love the brothers especially. Now if we speak of faith, this is the command, commandment, we should believe in his Son. Uh, to believe is more than just mental assent to certain facts concerning Jesus. It's more than just accepting the facts concerning Jesus' life and his death and resurrection. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus means that you entrust your whole life to Christ because you realize you cannot save yourself. So you believe in Jesus, that's the command, and you do not only believe at the beginning of the Christian life. You keep on believing in Jesus. You keep on believing in Him until you breathe your final breath. You keep on believing until Jesus comes again. Colossians 1 verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes, we should continue in the faith. Previous verse, he says how we are saved. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed, been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You keep on believing until the end of your life. And if you believe in Christ in this way, by trusting in Him to save you, by keeping on believing in Him, or continuing to believe in Him, well, then you are obedient to God's command. And you will obey all His commandments, and you will abide in Him, and He will abide in you. You are in God, and God dwells in you. God lives in you by the Spirit. Verse 24. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in him. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, and my Father will love you, and we will come and make our dwelling with you? Didn't Paul say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Didn't Jesus say, we should abide in him and he in us, like branches are united and are one with the vine? And the vine, the life of the vine, flows into the branches, the sap. And so if you are in God, and God in you, you abide in Him, and He abides in you, well, what will happen then? Then you won't doubt your salvation. You won't doubt. 
you will be full of assurance that you belong to the Lord. Now please note that the Bible does not say you must rely on your faith to be sure of your salvation. It doesn't say rely on your faith. The Bible teaches that we should rely on Jesus alone through faith. Faith is the channel. Faith is not the foundation of our assurance. It is through faith that we rely on Christ alone. Because many people look to themselves, do I have enough faith? That is wrong. Look to Jesus, not to your faith. Look to Jesus by faith. And I think for us to do that properly, it's good if you come to the Lord's table often. And you confess your sin often. Why? Because at the Lord's table you focus on the cross. And when you confess your sin, you focus on the cross. You focus on Jesus. You remember Jesus died to remove your sin. And if you do this, you will have assurance. But the person who simply wants assurance won't find it. Don't chase assurance. Chase Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Don't pursue assurance. And so you pursue Jesus. Instead of making an idol of assurance, pursue Jesus. So to focus on Jesus is important. Because you know what happens very quickly and very often. It's very quick for us to be tempted to think that God will accept me because I have a strong relationship with Him. Or God is going to reject me because I have a weak relationship with Him. God will accept me because I had a wonderful quiet time this week. God's going to reject me because I had terrible quiet times or I even neglected. I skipped some days. And you forget that God accepts you not because of your performance but because of Christ alone. So don't focus on your performance. Focus on Jesus. So once again, assurance does not rest on what you do for Jesus. It rests on what Jesus has done for you 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. And that is certain. That assurance is certain. Because you cannot lose that salvation. If you could lose your salvation, you would never have assurance. Today, says Thomas Watson, today justified, tomorrow unjustified. Today a Peter, tomorrow a Judas. Today a member of Christ, tomorrow a child of Satan. If one justified person may fall away from Christ, then all may fall away from Christ. And so Christ would be a head without a body. So Jesus will never reject you. He will never lose you. He will not allow that anyone plucks you from his hand. And he will not allow anything in all creation to separate you from his love. So he will keep you to the end. To the very end. You began the good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So you have absolutely no reason to doubt your salvation. You have every reason under the sun to be certain that you belong to Christ. And then number five. The Holy Spirit and assurance. Verse 24b. Some Christians believe that God never leads us through our emotions he never leads us through impressions. He only leads us through the Bible. And then other believers, they say that the Holy Spirit mainly leads us 
through our emotions and through impressions. And they, those are the kinds of Christians who will say, if you always want to run to the Bible, then it shows you do not have a living relationship with God. And they would continue and say, in fact, we, or besides, we do not believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures, do we? Now, I, I believe both those teachings are unbalanced. I do not believe that the Bible teaches either one or the other. I believe that the Bible gives us the balance. The Spirit works personally with every one of God's children. The Spirit does work through impressions and emotions. The Spirit gives you holy desires. The Spirit moves your heart and the Spirit drives your thoughts. How do you know it's the Spirit? Well, any emotion and any impression must be measured against Scripture. And if it conflicts with the Bible, then it's not the Spirit. Then it's a false spirit or it's the sinful nature of man, the flesh. But if it concurs or not concurs, if it agrees with Scripture, this emotion or this impression, if it agrees with Scripture, then it is the Spirit leading you and guiding you. And that also goes for assurance of salvation. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Romans 8 verse 9. If the Spirit of Christ does not, is, does not dwell in you, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit lives in us, and the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 24b, by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. It's the Spirit who gives you assurance of salvation. Romans 8.16, or chapter 4, verse 13 in 1 John. By this we know that we abide in Him and in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. He's given the Spirit to testify. So how does the Spirit testify that you are a child of God, that you are indeed saved? Well, in two ways. And again, this comes back to what I said in the beginning of, of verse 24b when I started explaining this, the subjective leading and the objective leading. So, so objectively, the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit then shows you, if you're a child of God, if your life is in line with the biblical definition of a Christian. So if you love the brothers and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as, as your Savior and as the Son of God, as the true and living God, and if you love obedience and you obey Christ, those are the evidences of salvation. That is written in the book of 1 John. If your life is in line with these Spirit-inspired words, well, the Spirit then testifies by these words, you're a child of God. But he also testifies subjectively by giving you a desire to know God as your Father, to call God your Father, to call upon God as your Father, and to pray to God as your Father. Verse 24b, by this we know that, we, uh, that He abides in us, God, by the Spirit whom He has given us. Romans 8 verse 15 and Galatians 4 verse 6. Listen to what Paul writes. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Where did that come from? When you call out to God, I want to know, is God my Father? I want to know Him as my Father. I want to call Him my Father. Call upon Him as my Father. Pray to Him as my Father. Where did that desire come from? That is subjective. That is an experience you have. And you know it comes from the Spirit because you couldn't get it from yourself. The Spirit of adoption. So you cry, Abba, Father, in Romans 8.15. But in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it's the Spirit that cries, Abba, Father, in you. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So if you cry, Abba, Father, it proves the Spirit dwells in you. Not just parroting the words, but the true desire from the heart to know God as your Father and to call Him your Father comes from the Spirit. And that goes back to verse 24b. By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. And so because it's the Holy Spirit who gives us assurance, well, then we should be very careful that we do not grieve the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit of God by sinning. And confess your sin and repent of that sin the moment you do it. Confess it immediately. Run to Christ. And confess your sin and turn from your sin and be forgiven. So that you do not grieve the Spirit. Because if you grieve the Spirit, who is going to give you this assurance of salvation? And where the Holy Spirit then sees the blood of Christ applied to your heart, He will follow. Isn't that why the, why the Spirit came? Why Jesus sent the Spirit? He says, when the Spirit comes, He will glorify me. So, so do not do too much introspection. Introspection is good, but don't do, it, do too much of that if you're looking for assurance. You won't find assurance that way. You will find assurance by seeing your sin and then looking to Christ, not looking to yourself and beating yourself up. Look to Jesus. That is what a, a John Campbell realized. John Campbell was a Scottish preacher uh, a couple of hundred of years ago, a couple of centuries ago, and John Campbell discovered this after he had struggled with assurance of salvation for many years. He says, Formerly the major part of my thoughts centered either upon the darkness I felt or the light I enjoyed. I feel so far from God or I feel so near. Now my thoughts are mainly directed to Jesus, what he hath done, suffered, and promised. So that, that then is the most important thing you need if you want to overcome doubt. Look to Jesus. Or can I add three more things? If I could add three more things, I would say these three things to overcome doubt. Number one, look to Jesus. Number two, look to Jesus. Number three, look to Jesus. And if you would ask me for a fourth, I would say, look to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for assurance of salvation that comes through the Spirit. And I know that some of those listening to me this evening or listening to the recording later on, they do not have assurance of salvation. And I pray, if they are truly yours, that you will give them assurance. Or if they are not yours, that you would shake the foundation of their false assurance and give them salvation through Jesus, your Son. And then give them the true assurance that that is the birthright and a gift to every child of yours. We pray these things in the name above all names.
Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. Amen.